I'm so excited to be with you today. I've been looking forward to today for a while because this is uh, sort of the kickoff to our fall uh, series, even though it's the middle of the summer. Um, this is kind of when we turn the corner and start to think about everything that's going to be happening this fall. I hope you've had a good summer. hope you've had a time to rest and get some things done and now re-engage into what God has for us. How, how many of you have ever had a, a near-death experience? How many of you have ever had a near-death experience? Okay, how many of you have had a near-death experience that was your fault? Less? <laughs> or at least you don't want to admit it. <laughs> how many of you have ever had uh, a near-death experience that was your fault, but you didn't know it was a near-death experience until you looked back on it and went, I almost died. I mean, <laughs> yeah? Well, I, I've got one that kind of fits in that last category. I don't really know how close I was, to be honest with you, uh, to death. But uh, looking back on it, I feel like it was closer than I wanted to be. When my youngest son was 13, we went on a father-son trip, and uh, we happened to be in Orlando uh, doing something else, and so he wanted to go uh, snorkeling. So we drove from Orlando down to Key Largo and then drove over to Key West, and the, that night we stayed in a little hotel there, and I was searching on the internet things to do. I said, hey, you know, they've got this jet ski tour. Now, I'd never jet skied in my life, but I thought, I see people jet ski. It can't be that hard. What's the big deal? It's a motorcycle on the water, right? I mean, it's basically a motorcycle on the water. I've ridden motorcycles. That's not a big deal. So why don't we jet ski? So there's a little tour that'll take you 27 miles all the way around the island of Key West. So we jump on. You know, it just so happens that our tour guide uh, was kind of this guy from you know, somewhere in Europe. He was sort of hanging out in the Keys, you know what I'm saying? So he wasn't super clear on exactly what to do and how dangerous this could really be. It was just kind of a cool thing for him. So we got on the jet ski, and we're buzzing around. And all I can remember them saying is, if your jet ski stalls out, it's because it sucked up some junk off the bottom somewhere, and it's hung up in the engine. And so you got two choices. Either you get off the jet ski, and you get in the water, and you stick your arm up under the jet ski, and you grab whatever's lot, dis, you dislodge whatever's up there, or you sit where you are and you wait. We'll get the whole tour, the whole group, five or eight miles, wherever they are. We'll make all of them sit and wait. You know, this is it's discouraging. You can tell this is not what they really want you to do. We'll make them all wait. You know, everybody will hate you. And then we'll come back and find out what's wrong with little you. And then we'll get you. You know, it wasn't quite, but that's kind of the feeling. Okay. So we're doing fine. We're buzzing around the island. We get to the manatee habitat. It's got mangroves all around it. There's no bank. And we're going through this murky little water, and they say go real slow because, you know, we don't want to disturb the water that the manatees swim in. I don't know what, the, what, for whatever. So we're going through there, and all of a sudden we hit the sign, and we happen to be first, at, right behind the tour guide. There's about 12 of us. And so the little sign's there, you know, you can speed up now. So the tour guide takes off. And so I go, oh, yeah, they're good. And I go, Wah. and I hit the gas, and we don't move. It's going, rah, 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 rah. it's going about three miles an hour, rah, 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 rah. and he's gone. He's like going like this. He's getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and I just looked at Tyler, and I said, I can guarantee you this. I'm not getting off this thing in no manatee habitat and reaching my arm up underneath this thing. And get, uh, there's no way. It's not going to happen. And I'm looking behind me, and the people are giving me the stink eye, like, 
you know, why don't you go? What's wrong with you? And I'm like, you know, I'm, I don't know. And so now the entire group is being separated from the God, and he's headed to like Cuba. I don't know where he's going. He's gone. And, and I don't know how you picture Key West. I always picture it like there was this last island with a bridge to it, and that's it. No, 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 it's nothing like that. There are islands everywhere. I couldn't even remember which one was Key West. I wouldn't even know how to paddle back. I don't know which direction. So we're there, and the engine's stuck. So nothing's happening. You know, and I'm just throttling it, throttling it, throttling it. You know, I don't know nothing about jet ski. I, I don't know much about water. I haven't been on the water much in my life. Grew up in Tennessee. don't know anything about this stuff. So I'm just, and I think, you know, I guess we're going to do this till he gets back. And he's eventually going to realize he doesn't have an entire group. And so finally, the, it starts dislodging the stuff that's in it, and we get to 15 miles an hour and 20 and then 25. And I go, hey, we have to catch up with this guy. I can barely see him. He's that big. I'm not even totally sure that's him. So I wind the thing out. It matter, and, you know, it just so happens they didn't. It wasn't dummy proof for people like me. It went full throttle. I don't know. How many of you have ever, how many of you ever been on the water? How many of you have been in a boat on the water? Okay. I found out later that this is really fast. I didn't know that at the time. I went 59 miles an hour on the open water in the ocean. It's just humming. And everything's fine until we turn the corner and get to the broad side, the windy side of the island, and the waves start rolling like this right here. And I'm going 59 miles an hour, and I told Tyler, hold on, because I don't know what's going to happen. And I've got the death lock on the handlebars, and it's, it's wound tight, as tight as it'll go. 59 miles an hour, we're just cutting it. And I keep thinking, I don't know if that's him, I don't know if that's him, he's getting a little bigger, I don't know if that's him. We cut around the corner of the island, the wind is coming in, the waves are rolling like this. And now, if you've ever been in the water, you know what's going to happen. The waves are not coming at us or behind us, they're going across us. And so I'm going 59 miles an hour, and I hit the top of a wave that falls out from underneath me. And so the water goes down, and we go up. It's like Dukes of Hazard. Kapam! And I thought, I thought, you know, I thought we're, I, when we went airborne, I went, we will die. I'm sure. So in my mind, I went ahead and resigned to the fact that we're going to have to be airlifted. Something's getting broken. There's no way both of us are coming out of this without somebody going to the hospital. But I didn't know what to do. Now I'm out in the middle of the ocean. I don't even know where I'm at. i got to keep going. So we jumped the second time. Pow! And, and, and the wave rolls underneath, and we, the boat slams again, and we throw sideways. And, then we, and I'm thinking there might be a shark. I don't know what's going to happen. But I, I'll tell you this right now. These arms, they might pry, my body might be in Cuba somewhere, but these arms are still going to be locked onto this thing. I'm not letting go. Unless it lands on me, I'm not letting go. And so the third time, pow, 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 we hit the water again. And I don't know why, maybe God looked at me and said, you stupid, stupid boy. I'm going to have mercy on you because of your ignorance. Somehow, by a miracle of God, we caught up with the group, and, and, and we didn't die. All I know is when I got off that 27-mile tour, and I pulled my fingers off the handlebar like this, my arms were so broken down, I went to pick up a towel, and I was like, the, I like had T-Rex hands. I went to pick up a, I was trying to pick a towel up to drop off, and nothing would grab anything. Nothing would work. I used up like two weeks worth of strength in 30 minutes, and I was done. Now, when I look back on that moment, I realized something. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and we almost died. 
But I didn't know it going into it. And, and you know, here's what I found. I wasn't trying to get lost. I was stuck between the guide who was trying to lead us and the circumstances that I got lost in. How many of you have ever been lost? How many of you have ever been lost? Did you do it on purpose? No, nobody gets lost on purpose. But you know what I find? It's easy to get lost. It's easier to get lost than you think it is. Now, I tell you all of that to say this this morning. In the last several decades, the American church has gotten lost. In other words, we forgot why we're here. And so this morning, I want to just uh, open up this series we're calling Live on Mission. And we're going to be talking about that. We have a lot of exciting things to share with you this month about the mission of God. But let me explain to you what this word, there's a word called, a phrase called mission drift. Mission drift is the idea that we have lost course. We have lost direction. We have misunderstood which way we're supposed to be going. And that's where the American church has been probably most of my life, at least most of the time that I've been saved. Now, why does mission drift happen? I'm just going to give you a few reasons, and then we'll talk about what it looks like as we wrap up. Here's, here's, a couple, here's three reasons. We drift off mission because the world is broken and everything naturally drifts the wrong way. How many of you have a closet or a shed or a garage that's been neglected for a while? Come on, time to confess. How many of you? Most of you. All right, good. How many of you believe if you ignore it, it'll get better? No, it's not going to get better, is it? Why? Because things naturally drift the wrong way. Things don't drift the right way. Now, here's the second reason that we drift off mission. We drift off mission because every system of the world is trying to get us to focus on the temporary. Politics and entertainment and sports and education and business and culture at large, it's like a strong undertow dragging us toward the belief that the most important thing that happens is today or tomorrow or 10 years from now. The media scream at us every day and says, look, what this breaking news, this just happened. What just happened is the most important thing in the entire world, and culture is screaming at us to spend every dime and every day focused on here and now, but Jesus is always working on the eternal. He's working in the temporary, but for the eternal. Now, the other reason that we drift off mission is because we're tempted to substitute other things for Jesus' mission. Some of you were around in the church at the time, and you remember, you know, the worship wars. The, the, this style of music and that style of music, and sometimes we think that the type music we play is the mission, or how we dress is the mission, or having a good church building is the mission, or the program or ministry that we happen to lead is the mission, or how I, how, how, 
how I got saved. In other words, the experiences or the things that were happening when I got saved, the mission is to make all those things happen again. Sometimes we think Christian concerts or conferences or Christian culture even is the mission. We can approach Christianity as a consumer more than a person on mission. So everything becomes about how I feel or I don't like that song or I'm just not being fed or then we substitute sometimes the American dream for the mission. So the mission is when my life turns out the way that I think it should, when all my dreams are fulfilled, then apparently I must be on mission and Christianity is working for me. Sometimes we think the mission is being more attractive than the church down the street. In denominations, we have reports that we look at that give us a list of numbers. This church did this, 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 and this area, and this church does. And you can look at all the little lists and see where you rank. And sometimes we think the mission is doing better than someone else. Sometimes we think we're on mission because we attend church services. But none of that's the mission. There's this cycle in the Old Testament that's interesting where people would repent and ret- if you read the Old Testament, mo- I'm going to give you a summary, I'm going to give you a thumbnail of most of the Old Testament. It's like this. People, God reaches out with his love and his power and truth with people. He confronts them with that. They repent and return to him. And as they return to him, he begins to bless them and prosper them. And the longer they're blessed and the longer they prosper, the shorter their memory gets and they forget where they came from and who brought them there and who their source is and they start to abandon God and his mission and the cycle happens over and over and over. But see, God has designed you to be a harvester. He's designed you to be a gatherer of people to himself because that is eternal work. And so when we abandon the mission of God, we don't lose our design. We are still designed to gather. So when we are on mission, we gather people to God. When we're not on mission, we gather other things. So we gather possessions. We gather experiences. We gather entertainment. We gather adventure. We gather ideas, education, and intellectualism. We, we gather health and nutrition. Everything temporary. I'm not saying any of those things by themselves are wrong but they are a means to the end. They're not the end. And we substitute our mission for Jesus' mission. Do you know the people on earth who who are living Jesus' mission the most tend to be people who live in poorer places because they live uh, 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 in such a daily struggle confronted with the needs of the day every day. They can't possibly ever forget that they need more than they are because they live with the pain of the need. Earthly suffering has a way of pulling back the blinders and letting us see the brokenness and the hopelessness of the world as it is. We had a team this summer that went to Peru, the most remote location we've ever taken a missions team. I I wanted to go and wasn't able to. I would have loved to have gone in that environment. We heard several things from the team that went. It was hot. (laughs) 
I'm talking jungle hot. How many of you went? Come on, how many of you went? Yeah, it was hot, right? Jungle hot. Yeah, you didn't have a big variety of food to eat, yes? Not a big variety of food to eat. It was bare living, a little village of 2,200 people. You had to travel by plane, train, automobile, scooter, hang glider, hot air balloon. You had to dig a tunnel. I don't know how you had to get there. You're way up in the jungle. But when they went way up in the jungle, they found, they found this village of 2,200 people. And there was a pastor of a church there that our team went to work with, second missions team that's ever been in that village in its history. The first one was a couple months ago. We were the second one. We went into that little village, and there was a pastor there who had a vision to reach the people in the jungle. Now, here's the thing. This is interesting to me. There were people in the church that said, no, 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 no. We shouldn't reach the people in the jungle because there's been violence between their tribe and our tribe and other tribes. There's been tension, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't try to reach them. We shouldn't be on mission for them. There was a prejudice and a division that had, that had occurred in the jungle, in this village, so much so that part of the people in that church split and went and started another church in a village of 2,200 people. People are really the same everywhere, aren't they? And the pastor said, and the leader said, no, no, God loves the people in the jungle. And even though there's been problems, we're going to do everything we can to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he stayed on mission. On, and you know what happened? He's beginning to, and that church is beginning to, and the leaders are beginning to reach people from other villages, and they bring them there. And our team went in to build a building that they could house pastors in, that they could train and send back in the jungle to pastor churches and bring new converts in and train them. And you know what that other church is doing? It's all over there in the corner of the village of 2,200 people concerned about itself. And it's off mission. And you know what one of the pastor's biggest concerns was? Now, you've got to understand, this is the most, I don't know how many places we've been, maybe, maybe 30 or 40 in the world, the most remote place our church has ever sent a team. And you know what the pastor said? His concern was, the people out in the jungle and the poverty they faced. And our team looked at them and went, this is poor. <laughs> You're talking about the people out there? But see, that has a way of stripping away and saying, what is the mission? What are we really doing here? Let me tell you something that I've learned. Satan doesn't have a preference on how you get off mission. He just wants you off mission. If you need it to sound spiritual, he'll make it sound spiritual. He'll help you. If stubbornness or selfishness is more your thing, he'll help you with that. If distraction or circumstances work, he'll help you. If blessing will pull you off distraction, he'll do his best to help you with that. Every way we have to measure the church in the last few decades all tell us the same thing. The American church has drifted off Jesus' mission. I've never seen a study that said anything other than that in 25 years. They all say the same thing. But let me tell you something I'm very, very excited about and the reason we're doing this series. A couple reasons, but here's one of them. It's a whole new day. 
Let me tell you what excites me. The conversation out there in the church world is beginning to change. There's a new wind beginning to blow. There's an undercurrent in the grassroots that's beginning to stir. God's people are starting to wake up and there's a stirring coming by the Holy Spirit that is drawing the church back into mission mission again. And I want to be part of it. And Jesus wants you to be part of it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus founded the church to do his mission. I want to read to you John 17, 18, out of the message. Listen to what Jesus said. In the, he's talking to God the Father. He said, in the same way you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. Now, what's incredible about that is two, two incredible things. One is, he says... In the same way, Jesus' mission is our mission. It's just like the Father handed it to him, he handed it to us. In the same condition, in the same shape, with the same parameters, with the same promises that the Father handed Jesus the mission, Jesus took the same mission and handed it to us. He carried it faithfully while he was on earth, and just before he left, he, he teed us up at running back and said, now when you go through the hole, I'm going to stick this in your gut, and you don't stop running till you score a touchdown. He handed it to us. This month, two years ago, God began to do an incredible work of renewal in our church. Some of you will remember this. And some of you will remember the, the, the part of renewal that we are in now. The Holy Spirit said to us in 2017, I want you to recommit to some things. It's been refreshing, it's been renewing, and now it's time to recommit. And in January, we talked about those, and I just want to kind of give you an update on where we are and show you how it has led us to this exact moment in this series. So the Holy Spirit says to us, I want you to recommit to prayer in the presence of God. Can I tell you, prayer has been rising in this church in an incredible way. Prayer groups are growing. The people who are in prayer groups are growing. Prayer meetings are growing. Prayer, the hours this church prays every week has been rising and rising and rising and rising. And it's very, very encouraging to see how our church has responded to the invitation of God to follow him in a different way. Our attendance at Soak, if you're new to Kingwood, our Soak service, once a month we come together for worship and prayer and to minister to each other. Once a month. Our Soak service has had a 15% increase in attendance all year. It's been incredible the way we've seen God pull our church deeper in and the way that we've responded. And I just can tell you, I can't wait till the fall to see what God does in those services and in these services and in his presence and how prayer is going to keep rising. One of the other things that the Holy Spirit said to us is, I want you to recommit to using the spiritual gifts God has given you. In the last 10 months, we have raised up Around 70 brand new leaders in this church who have found the gift God put in them and are using it for his glory. I think that's incredible. 
Another, uh, the third point was recommit to God's family. In other words, somehow grow in relationship. You can't grow in relationship coming to the sanctuary week in and week out. You can maybe find out someone's first name. You may get to know a little bit about them. But until you're part of a life group or a ministry team where you can get in a smaller environment, where you can get to know people a little better and they can get to know you a little bit better, you can't really grow as a part of God's family. So our life groups are getting stronger. Our leaders are being better trained. From children to youth to adults, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in life groups. In three weeks, we're going to give you the, uh, the life group guide that will tell you all the life groups that are about to start uh, this fall. And I want to encourage you, if you're not in a life group yet or a ministry team, that's where you'll really begin to sense being a part of God's family. Now, that brings us to today. The last thing the Holy Spirit said to us was, I want you to recommit, maybe you remember this from January, to God's mission. Let me read it in John 17, 18 again. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. See, we need a move of God, not for the unchurched. We need a move of God so that the church will recommit to the mission. You and I can't commit to it in our own strength. We're too busy. Too many other things going on. So this morning what I want to do is, as we close this message is I want to give you three things uh, that, will, that is a good uh, illustration of, of what it looks like when we're on mission. So what would, it, what would a Christian's life on mission look like? Here it is, number one. Your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in your life. Let's just go ahead and start where everything starts. Everything good in your life will be an overflow of your relationship with Jesus. A person who lives on mission does so because they're following the greatest missionary who ever lived. So the question I have for you this morning is, do you value Jesus more than anything else? Does Jesus bring you peace? Does he bring you joy? Does he bring you comfort? Do you sense Jesus leading you on a regular basis? Are you hungry to learn more about Jesus and following him? Is he first? See, here's what I found out. You can be a church hopper. You can be a church shopper. You can be a church professional. You can be a pastor. You can be an evangelist or you can be a missionary. It doesn't matter what your title is. Uh, if Jesus isn't the most important thing in your life, you will drift off mission. When you really love someone, when you really love someone, what's important to them becomes important to you. Matthew twenty two thirty seven says, Jesus replied, somebody asked Jesus, what's the most important thing in life? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now listen to this. And the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. Now, will you ever ask yourself the question, why is love your neighbor second? Why is it second? Because I've never seen anyone who could love them, their neighbor as themselves who didn't love Jesus first. Go ahead and try that in your own energy. Go ahead and try that in your own strength. There's a priority there. When you love Jesus first, you've got the power to love everybody else the way you should. You've got the strength to live the way you should in relationship. Number two, when you live on mission, 
you feel a greater responsibility to the eternal than the temporary. A person who lives on mission takes care of their daily responsibility. They don't neglect that. They're not popping around with their heads in the cloud somewhere. But they realize this is not all there is to life. They live now, but they focus on eternity. So let's just talk openly about that for a minute. And let's just be real honest here for a second. Isn't that hard to do? It is, isn't it? It's not easy. Let's just be honest. Let's don't be religious. It's not easy. Because life is busy. And there's a lot of demands. And, and, and some of you here this morning, you, from the time you wake up in the morning to the time you go to bed, you are pounded again and again and again with demands and with crises. And the demands of life can be so high. And for some of you, surviving is just consuming. And the eternal is coming, but the temporary is what's, what's got its death lock in you. How do you maintain a greater responsibility to the eternal than to the temporary? Look, there aren't any easy answers to that question. I'll just point you back to the first point. Love Jesus first. And if you keep following him, I know where he's going. The mission the Father gave me, I give to you. I know where he's going to lead you. You keep following him, you're going to eventually end up where you need to go. Keep your relationship with Jesus strong. He's the greatest missionary that ever lived. Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up, watch this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, temporary. Where moths, and you got to watch those vermin. How many of you got some vermin? vermin? Vermin are bad news. Don't mess with the vermin. And where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in eternal in heaven where malls there's a vermin again they can't get there and where the thieves do not break in and do not steal i talked to a mom this week in our church and she told me a story that just happened just happened in the last week or so she said my daughter was texting one of her friends and there came a moment where there was an open door for her to share her faith and and through text she's sharing her faith and her friend and allowed her, opened the door, for her to pray with her and for her to receive Christ and ask for forgiveness and to begin following Jesus. Now, as the mom's telling me the story, she's just crying. And I was asking myself, why is this so moving to her? Is this so moving to her because... She's so, she's so stirred by the other person's salvation. Yes, that was part of it. But there was another part of it that I didn't know. She said, you see, I was so excited because I don't want my daughter to just live a good life. I don't want her to just be religious. I don't want her to just show up at church and go through the routine." I want her to be all in. I want her to know the fulfillment and the joy and the satisfaction of living a fully engaged life with God. She said, I didn't always live that way. There was a time in my life, my Christian life, I just kind of lived a more passive religious life, but I don't want that for her. I don't live that way now, and I don't want it for her. And She's just crying because to her that was a sign that her daughter was going all in. You've never known joy until there's somebody else in life 
that you can point to and say, God used me to change their life. I was part of the equation. Some, it's not all me, but somehow I was in there. Somehow I was part. You've never known joy or fulfillment until you know that. You can look and see how a marriage has been restored and a family has been set at peace and somebody's been brought to faith and somebody who didn't know God knows God now. It's the greatest joy there is in life. Number three, so Jesus is first. You focus on the eternal more than the temporary. Here's the third one. You're actively engaged in your church. See, God has one plan to fulfill Jesus' mission. It's the church. God never gave his mission to me, and he never gave his mission to you. He gave it to us as a church, and he gave it to the church, and he never gave it to us alone because none of us can do it alone. Ephesians 3.10 says his intent was that now through what? Through the church. The wisdom of God and the gospel of Christ is revealed through the church. Now look, it's not perfect because it's filled with people like me and you. But every attempt to approve upon it has failed. And they will all fail. Because it was God's idea, it was God's invention, it was God's plan to reach the world. A person who lives on mission is fully engaged in their church family. Now, how are you doing with that? Well, how many people do you know at church? You can't be engaged if you don't know many people. It means you just sort of come and go. As I said, in a few weeks we're going to be talking to you about the life group opportunities that we have at Kingwood and how you can get involved in there and, and build some relationships. It's a vital part of your faith. Maybe it's time for you to find a group. Are you using the spiritual gifts that God's given you? Do you even know what they are? If you don't know what they are, you might be using them on accident, and that's, that's good. But it's not as good as it can be. And if you don't know what they are, in September we start our life streams uh, track, four classes. And one of those, we spend the whole class on let us help you find your spiritual gifts. That's what the whole class is. And so if you don't know, I encourage you. Have you ever been on a missions trip? Maybe you don't want to start with Peru. <laughs> However, man, we do missions trips all the time. And I, I just encourage want to invite everybody in this church. We want everybody to do a mission trip at least one time in your life. And we have a huge variety of them. One of them is going to come along that will fit you. And maybe that's a way you can engage. Do you worship regularly with your church family? Are you more hit and miss? What about soak? Well, let's just kind of go back to where we started and wrap this up here. How important is your relationship to Jesus? That's really the thing, right? So, so I've got this little um, scale. And, and you don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to write anything down. I just want you to look at it. Just, just, I just want you to look at it. If you had to say today, number 10 is Jesus is the most important 
thing in my life, person, circumstance, dream, goal, he's the most important. And one would be, I'm not completely sure that I have a relationship. I'm not sure, like I'm at church, but I'm not sure I have a real relationship with Jesus. I, I might. I prayed a prayer somewhere sometime. I've been around. But if you just had this morning to kind of put yourself on that scale with Jesus, where, where would you be? I mean, just be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell anybody else. But where would you be this morning? How would you, how would you rate that? Now, here's the good news, okay? Today is not 10 or 0 day. <laughs> That's not what today is. Today is not get in or get out. Today is not, you better be at 10, or, you know, you're going to burn. That's not what today is, okay? Today is, what would it look like for you to move one step closer? What would that look like? What would it look like for you to get closer to Jesus? What would it look like for your relationship with him to become more important to you? What, what step would you need to take? Would you need to maybe start to invest in some of your devotional life? Maybe read the Bible? Get some kind of plan to read the Bible or pray? Would it be coming, coming to church more often? Would it be getting involved, you know, somewhere? Or, or coming to soak? Or is there something in your life? Have, have you found this cycle in your life? I don't think everybody has this, but I think most of us have it at some point. You get close to Jesus, close to Jesus, close to Jesus, and then something happens, and you get hurt, or you get disappointed, or things don't work out the way that you thought that they would, and then you feel this distance. You kind of, you sort of start over. You kind of drift away from God because the, the crisis or the pain or the disappointment just kind of disillusions you, and you float away. And, and if, if you, maybe you've never thought of it, and just sitting here thinking, it, it, it's clearer in your mind. You've kind of gone through that cycle. I've watched people go through that cycle. I've, I've been through that cycle where you, where you press in and you kind of go all in, but because you don't totally understand everything about the kingdom, things happen you would have thought wouldn't have happened since you gave it your all. And you get disappointed and you kind of drift back. And your heart's still there. You want to be there. You just don't know how to be now. Well, maybe it's time to take a step again. And ask Jesus to help illuminate your mind. Help you to understand. That even though disappointing things happen and crisis happen and things don't always work out the way that you think they should or you even think he's going to make them work out he still loves you and he's never left remember that song we sang I'm not alone it's still true when we were clapping a minute ago and talking about it it's still true even though we're talking about harder things now it's still true 
still not alone. And so maybe it's time to just take some steps. Maybe the thing that's holding you back on the little chart here is that somebody hurt you and you haven't really forgiven them yet. And so there's this distance between you and God. You, can't, you find yourself stuck at six or whatever because you just can't get past this thing. And maybe today Jesus is calling you to lay that down and ask for his help because there's some pains that you and I don't have the power to forgive on our own. But that's when Jesus comes and says, my grace is sufficient for you and you can forgive. Not you have to, but you can forgive. I'll give you the power to let this go. And healing will flow in your life. You begin to change. So would you stand with me this morning and I'm just going to ask you today.